Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to the morning worship service here at Forest Heights Baptist Church. And I'd like to have a special welcome for our praise team. I don't know about you, but I have missed them dearly. We're going to begin this Memorial Day weekend service by standing and singing God of Our Fathers.
wonderful love and grace and this opportunity to be able to worship you with these believers in Christ. And I thank you for the not only the wonderful opportunity but uh, of worshiping with them, but being able to bring honor and glory to your name through this service. So I just pray that <clears throat> as we gather together, and Lord, as our hearts and our minds are with one purpose, I hope that we have this same purpose, and that is to lift you up throughout this service. And as we do this, that you will certainly draw us closer to you and that you will be um, honored and that we will be blessed because of that wonderful experience that comes uh, only from you and with you. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we continue our praise service, I want to let everyone know that yesterday was a very important day in the life of our pastor. And before he walks out the door, let's sing happy birthday to him. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Mike. Happy birthday to you.
So many questions the world is reaching, so many hurting, so many lost. With all this striving, who can we lean on? Creation crying out from the dark. I know the answer to every question. Thank you, Daniel, for that. And it was good to see the praise team up here. And it's always good to see Tank and Susan, Bobby. I want to thank them and thank thank you all for being here. Also, I want to thank Ben and, and uh, David for what they've been doing uh, all through this time. And they're still recording on Sunday night, and I appreciate that. And then Daniel, who's uh, headed up uh, a lot of this online and, and done so well and, and met with some of the uh, educational uh, classes, especially those dealing with children. I appreciate that and him uh, working that out with you guys and you working with him. And so that is deeply appreciated. It seems like things are coming back to uh, 
not normal, but uh, somewhere. Uh, I don't know what normal will be from here on out, but uh, it is good to see each and every one. And new faces, but not new faces. Uh, new faces since about, what, two months ago? But uh, it's good, good to see each and every one of you. And Chris and Leandra, good to see you. And all of you, it's uh, neat for you to be able to be with you again. It really is. It just stirs my heart. Okay. I'd like for you to look at Matthew chapter 17. Jesus is on his way to the cross. Things are speeding up. Events are happening. The climax is almost uh, there. And so we, uh, we see that uh, the disciples have a short learning span or, or a short learning time where they've got to pull in all of this because soon Jesus will be gone as far as his physical presence from them and, and they've got to carry on the mission. And so uh, he's trying to show them and teach them as much as possible. And in Matthew, he gives them a, a, another reminder here. Uh, and this reminder is dealing with faith. And faith is so important in the Christian life. For it's impossible to please God without faith, isn't it? That's what the Word of God tells us. But so often, we do not operate in that realm the way that we should. And we may have faith, and we may have faith in the Lord, but our faith, if we're not careful, will be put in other things. And it happens to all of us at certain times, and so we need to be very aware of that, very careful about that. So I want you to look in Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21. As we look at this, uh, we have just dealt with the, and you've got to remember, just dealt with the transfiguration. This is a great experience for at least three of the disciples, what they were able to see, James, Peter, and John. And so in Matthew uh, 17, 1 through 13, uh, they're coming down off the mountain now. And uh, there's a multitude awaiting them. And when, they had cut, uh, and when they came to the multitude, a man came up to him, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and this is so very important. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, embarrassed, I'm sure, and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith, as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. <clears throat> let's pray and let's go to the Lord and just ask for His enlightenment, His grace to just take control and, and reveal to us what He wants us to learn here father we just ask that you <clears throat> work a work this morning in our hearts and our minds a work that will be honoring to you a work that will uh, empower us and enlighten us for service for your kingdom work where we can be better equipped and where we can be encouraged and be strengthened from it oh i pray this in jesus name Amen. You know, one of the perplexities, as I mentioned earlier, of, of our day is the word faith and how it is used. 
And so, you know, we, we need to understand this. We need to get this right. This makes it difficult a lot of times to even sustain a conversation in many of our circles with any certainty uh, as uh, to uh, know what that person is talking about or if they understand what we're talking about if we're trying to share with them about Jesus Christ. In, for example, in, in 1896 in Chicago, the World Parliament of Religions was held there. And it was a universal project. It was universally united with nations uh, throughout the, uh, the world. And one of the problems that they had was dealing with the word religion. They didn't like that. And they were trying to come together and unite the, themselves together. And, and they were all of different religions. And so uh, that kind of just left them a little bit divided. And they said, if we're going to unite under one world togetherness, then we need something to bring us together. And so they said, let's uh, say that we're from different faiths. And so faith here, though, was not the same kind of faith that Christians talk about. Faith was taken out of the context of the Bible and used for these people of many different faiths, what they believed in. So faith is difficult to understand today in our contemporary world. We use it the same today as back in 1896. And it's a difficult construction for it can mean something to someone and mean nothing to someone else. It's used in reference to a person with some type of commitment or religious commitment if they're talking about religion. And it means that a person's mind it, here it, you know, is, is geared towards this, uh, having at least some kind of connection, and that is with faith. And the problem is faith is used in the generic term when you do this. And in the Bible, is not used in the generic firm, uh, at least not with the faith in God. It, it deals with a specific commitment, and it is a commitment to the one and only God, the creator of this universe, the sustainer of this universe, the God of salvation, the God of atonement, the God of sacrifice, the God of faith. Faith is a specific commitment to Him. It is believing in the one and only true God. And, and when we believe in the one and only true God, we're ordering our thoughts and our minds to follow His beliefs. But the world does not look at it that way. And so when we talk about faith in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament... We're talking about a faith that justifies. We're not talking about some faith that is the exercise of some will to, to trust in some generic belief, but we're talking about a faith in the creator of this world who has provided salvation for us through Jesus Christ. I mean, you look at Buddhist, Buddhism. That, what are they trying to do? They're trying to get beyond oneself and thoughts to a place of nothingness. The destiny of a, a Buddhist is to have the mind that reaches a point of mindlessness. They think they're free then. When Jesus teaches disciples... What he teaches in this passage is so very important because it deals with faith, a very important aspect of the Christian life. It's, a, uh, it's dealing with some type of commitment to God. It is a commitment to the one and only God. And Jesus is dealing with a faith that they need to understand for it to be effective. 
And it's not dealing with the quantity since Jesus in the next verse explains that even faith as, a small, as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. The, di- the disciples had some faith because if they hadn't, they probably wouldn't have tried to exercise that demon out in the first place. So let's get to the story. This story involves Jesus. It involves the disciples, them that were coming off the mountain with him, the others that had tried to cast out the demon, the other nine. We're, uh, we have the crowd. If, if the mountain and the scene here are close in uh, proximity, then they're probably made up primarily of Gentiles. But they did have Jews there. We see that the scribes, the legal experts of the law were there. And we see a man with his child that was demon-possessed there. And so the disciples are experiencing a lesson. Just like we in life, if we look at our circumstances, if we look at our, our trials, if we look at our difficulties, if we look at this situation that we're going through right now, they, we should look at them through the proper lens. And if we do, then we'll see that they are lessons that God has for us to learn. And so the disciples are experiencing this lesson for their further commitment to the Lord, their walk with the Lord. They were learning that just as they believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, they must also consistently believe in Him day by day, living their lives with that kind of faith. God in the lives of believers. Do the same. We're to do the same thing. If you look in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter dealing with the the hall of fame of faithers, it consists of great people of faith. In chapter 12, the writer tells us to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on Jesus. Our faith is in an object that is stable, in a person, in Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. As I said earlier, it's impossible to please God without faith. I guess we don't please Him a lot of times, do we, with the way that we should. We can understand that the lesson of faith is very high on Jesus' list. It's no wonder that the first thing after the Mount of Transfiguration, this wonderful experience of seeing the glorified Christ, they were coming down off the mountain, and the first experience that they were to have, they were, uh, you know, brought face to face with their lack of power, which was duly directed uh, towards them because of their lack of faith. We quickly shift in chapter 17 from the mountain of glory to the valley of despair. It changes from the glorious mountaintop experience, which we love to have, and we should cherish those, but to the unveiling of Christ, where there's the unveiling of Christ's glory with the disciples to that which was below on earth, the fallen uh, creatures, where sin. Is rampant. And so the lesson was so important because he had gone from uh, the earth, the disciples needed to carry on the mission from that experience up on the mountaintop back to re- reality, earth. You know, a, a lot of times when we would go off to camp and we'd take a group of young people to camp, and we, uh, we didn't allow any television, we didn't allow any uh, telephones, anything like that. We said we're just going to get in the Word for that week. They didn't like it at first, but then that week they enjoyed it. By the end of the week, they were not wanting to leave. And they knew that camp was over with, and soon when they got back, they were going to have to get into school and get into the routine of that again. And reality set in... Once they did that, and they no longer were, were around that mountaintop experience, so to speak, where we had the Word of God and it being taught every day, 
uh, three or four times during the day and then a worship service at night. And seeing, people, seeing young people get convicted and saved and, and other decisions being made. And, and so they, they realize this and the disciples, they were experiencing this and God wanting to, wanted them to be prepared because the real world was awaiting them. The real experience that they were going to have to go through. This was just a blessing that they were blessed with, and we have those mountaintop experiences, but we get out into the world, and it's fallen, and we have to deal with that. So there's a need that here that reveals their problem. It says, and when they came to the multitude, a man came up to him, falling on his knees before him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is, a very, and is very ill." For he often falls into the fire and often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't hear, heal him. So he, he comes to the right source, finally. He comes to Jesus. The man said, Lord, have mercy on my soul, for he is a lunatic. The man may not have known everything about the situation, but he knew that there was a problem with his son, that the, and he took him to the d- disciples of Jesus, whom he figured that they could handle it because they were followers of his, but they could not, and so he goes to the main source, Jesus himself. He may not have known that he was a Messiah, may not have understood that, but he had respect enough for Jesus that he knew that he had some kind of divine power to heal his son. And this is so important. This is one of the problems that, you know, not only disciples have, but we have. And that is the source of power. We've got to be constantly reminded of that and reminding ourselves of that. That we need to have that time with the Lord every day and we need to be totally dependent upon Him because He is the source that we need to draw from. The source of power and the total dependency needed to be there for miracles to happen, for lives to change. We can't change lives. So often we try to change lives. We may try to talk people into doing things. We may even manipulate people into doing things. We may try activities. We may try, you know, different uh, uh, things that, that we dream up that, uh, you know, we think will work. And, you know, God may use a little bit of that, but we, if we're not careful, would depend upon that totally and not the Lord. And so he came to Jesus, but he came with the right attitude, if you'll look there. It says that uh, the man came to Jesus and he cried out, Have mercy on me. He was desperate. People, we need to understand that it's not anything in us that we deserve his grace or we deserve his his power or, or his working or his authority in our life. There's nothing within us that, that deserves that. Matter of fact, we deserve just the opposite. But God in his mercy reaches down and, and in our desperate situations, he will reach into our hearts as we cry out to him and we recognize him who has the authority, who understands and who loves us. And he, in, with that compassion and that sympathy, reached out and delivered the boy. The boys said the son, I mean the father describes him as a lunatic. And it, it uh, really means something referring to the moon, lunar. And so there was a, a moonstruck type of philosophy during that time that uh, many foreign religions, ancient religions, believed that mental illness or madness came from. And so he said, you know, he's a lunatic. You know, we, uh, we may do the same thing. Uh, you talk to a nurse or a doctor in the emergency room on full moon night and tell them, uh, you, uh, just listen to them say, boy, we're covered tonight. I don't know what it is about this full moon, but more people come in during that time. The boy was very ill, and it tells us that his condition was very serious. And it was so severe that he would often fall into the fire and often into the water. And he had all kinds of burns and scars probably on, on his body. And, and the, son, the father had, had to have, be there watching him all the time or afraid that he might uh, 
do something like this and and might burn up or or, or drowned. And so he either had to watch him or have, have somebody watched him. And the father sensed what Jesus verified, though, that there was a problem beyond just the ancient beliefs. There was a problem, and this problem was more than psychological or mental. It was demonic. The demon was exceptionally violent for whatever reasons. Satan caused this, uh, you know, the demon to uh, torment this child in this way. And do you know that every unsaved person is subject to the control of Satan? They are. Why? Because they do not have Jesus Christ in their heart and soul, who is the authority over Satan. He is the prince, it says, of the power of the air. The more a person willfully sins and rejects God, the more he leaves himself open to Satan's influence. But do you know that a believer also, if he continues to live in sin and disobedience to the Lord, can open himself up to Satan's controlling his life, maybe not possessing it, but controlling it and tormenting it even. The Father comes humbly before the Lord Jesus in faith, acknowledging Him as the one who could deliver Him from this demon. Let's look at the failure. And I brought Him to your disciples, and they could not cure Him. This is strange in light of what their previous experience had included. They had been previously commissioned, empowered, and and they had even experienced where they had delivered demons from people. They had healed people, but it was in the power of the Lord. Well, some people would say, well, the Lord wasn't with them. Well, the Lord, uh, during this time, he was up on the mountaintop. He was always with them in a sense, but he was not with them neither in presence when they did the other, when he commissioned them. And so the Lord told the twelve, it says in Matthew 10, 6 through 8, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, go as you are, going, preaching, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast out the demons. They went and they did that. And if they were so successful before, why a failure now? Just like in our lives. Why do we have victory over sin and then turn right around, experiencing that joy of that victory, and then before we know it, we've yielded to sin again. The same because of theirs, because of a lack of faith, lack of trust, a lack of dependency upon the Lord. They could not blame their failure on Jesus not being with them, as I said before, because he wasn't with them in person as they went out. Christ's promise, his power, his commission, though, had not changed. What went wrong? The explanation, they did not appropriate the power within them with, by faith. You know, throughout history, the church has done the same, not just individuals. The church, as a body of believer, we show our faithlessness, our weakness, our indifference by not reaching the saved and by not living in the power and, and the grace of God the way that we should. We often end up by not depending on God and His power and we get into a routine and we go through the motions only to see little or no results. We wonder, well, I'm faithful, I'm doing the same thing, I'm doing everything that, that I did before except trusting God. Take, for instance... I've shared this illustration with you before about a minister who was speaking to our um, uh, director of missions, uh, you know, uh, and to the preachers at, at the uh, minister's uh, gathering one uh, Monday morning. And, and at, as he was speaking, he began to share about an experience in his church where he was pastoring where they 
felt led to reach these people in the park a certain way and they prayed about it and they prayed about it and they prayed about it and they prepared and and they they just all began to feel led to to do this and people began to fall in place and they would ask people to serve and people reached out to serve and to help and and to provide different things and 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 as they they uh, they met when they met they had great results great success and then the next year what happened they did the same thing, except they didn't pray as much, they didn't prepare as much, they didn't do as much preparation spiritually. They did ask, they did uh, put together all these things, but they didn't prepare their hearts in prayer like they should. They didn't even ask God if God wanted them to do it or not, if they felt that leadership. And so few, they had a trouble getting more the workers, but they did finally get everything together. There was less success. And then the third year, it was a total failure, almost. And they came together and they said, what in the world is going on? And the preacher said, have you been praying for this? Have you been preparing spiritually for this? Way before you ever started uh, preparing to do this, and have you asked God if he wants you to continue this? And, of course, you know what their reply was. No. You see, a lot of times I'm afraid that churches are powerless, ineffective, because they depend more on the programs and more on the activities and more on, well, we've done that before, than prayer to God. Than God himself. They're not God-led. I've gone through the same thing. I've done the same thing. And I know that many others have also. And what happens? Our faith really shows up then. Our faithlessness shows up. And so we see the disappointment. Here Jesus answered and said... Oh, unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Their faithlessness not only grieved the boy's father, but it also grieved the Lord. That tells us what the Scripture says. It's impossible to please God without faith. You see, people out there they see our insincerity just like the father did and lack of genuineness and the lost world doesn't want any of that we're talking on sunday night about the genuine characteristics or the characteristics of a genuine church from first thessalonians and one of the the first characteristics that we we mentioned one of the things one of the part of that is faith the work of faith. Jesus speaks to the multitude and to the disciples, O oh, unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? We're called as saints to listen, to trust, and to obey. We are to do what God would have us to do, trusting him and him alone. The angels instantly, what do they do? They, the unfallen angels, they do the Lord's bidding. We're not to do any less. Jesus was grieved at the blindness and the faithlessness of Israel and his disciples, and especially the disciples whom he personally had chosen, taught, and endowed with unique power and authority. The father of the demon-possessed son was at least honest with him, uh, with his faith before Jesus. In, in Mark, he says, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. The people were not only unbelieving, but it says that they were perverted. And many of the listeners were doubtlessly morally perverted, but I think Jesus here is speaking primarily of the spiritual perversion of unbelief. 
those without Christ certainly have distorted the view of Christ. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? No doubt the Lord was becoming increasingly anxious to return to his heavenly Father, to that unique experience there. But he also wanted those who saw him, who heard him teach, who saw him perform miracles, to trust him, to learn to continually trust him. You remember what the Father had just previously told the disciples? Listen to him. That means more than just hear what he's saying. Do what he tells you to do. The continuing of the gospel message along with the kingdom teaching was to be left in the hands of the disciples and they needed to learn this lesson. So the last thing is a reminder to the disciples. And Jesus rebuked him and the demon came out of him and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, If you have faith as a mustard seed, You shall say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Preparation. You need that in your heart and your soul. Jesus reminds the disciples of whose authority it was. It was coming from God. And so before departing, the demon made one last attempt to destroy the child by causing him, if you read over in Mark and Luke, uh, to, uh, to go into a terrible convulsion as the demon cried out. And Luke tells us that on this occasion the crowds were amazed at the greatness of God. And the word greatness here refers to great great splendor and and, uh, magnificence. And this was the word that Peter used uh, to describe the uh, divine majesty of the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so the small glimpse of majesty and splendor revealed the Lord in his glory. And uh, at this time, in his glory, when, he, when he'll come again. And then the disciples coming to him privately said, why can't we cast him out? And he says, because of littleness of your, uh, your faith. Jesus' purpose with the miracle was not just to heal the son. It went beyond that, just like all of his miracles. It, it was to bring glory to God. It was for them to put faith in God. Through him, the disciples were embarrassed at their failure. They asked him in private. They knew that they had done it previously, and now they're wondering why they couldn't. Jesus tells them, because of the littleness of your faith, this type of faith can be so very dangerous. What do you mean, Mike? It's the kind of faith that believes in God when you have everything under control, just like all of us. It's easy to say, boy, I believe in God. When everything's smooth and good. I wonder how many of us spent time in the Lord and time in prayer and time really entrusting in Him through this crisis when it really began to hit heavy. Now that it's eased up, I believe in God. I truly put my trust in Him. I'm not talking about attendance here. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in your own personal walk with the Lord. Mine, yours. When all this was coming up, did we panic? Did we trust him? You see, it's so dangerous. It's the kind of faith that believes in God when everything is under control. The kind of faith that believes in God when provision has already been taken care of. It's the kind of faith when everything is going well and everything seems to be smooth and just right. When things are this way, then if we only have faith then, we begin to rely on faith in others, in money, in situations, in circumstances, and in activities and jobs instead of God. That's why it's dangerous. If that's the only time that we can really cry out and say, yes, we have faith, We begin to demonstrate the kind of faith we have 
truly have when our circumstances seem to get out of control and our life seems to be somewhat threatened, then you can see what kind of faith a believer has. We reveal our real faith. The Lord was giving disciples the same uh, and the uh, sample of what their lives would be like when he returned to earth, uh, turned to heaven, when he was gone out of their sight, when they couldn't no longer see him or walk with him. Then finally Jesus says, For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Move from here, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible for you. Jesus is tell, telling the disciples that small faith like the size of a mustard seed can grow into something greater. But one needs to understand that this type of seed faith needs to be persistent. It's not something that's, okay, if everything's going great, then I'll have this kind of faith. It's a faith at all times. It becomes a mighty faith. Not literally moving mountains, but great obstacles. When these obstacles come into our lives, we can trust God. And, and yes, they may not be removed, but they'll be removed from us fretting over them and worrying about them and being discouraged over them. The 19th century leader, George Mueller, began to pray for five personal friends. Five years went by before he saw the first one accept the Lord. Another five years went by, and two more were saved. Twenty-five years went by, and the fourth was saved. And he prayed for the fifth friend until he died, and he didn't see him saved. A few months after his death, though, the fifth came to know the Lord. He had that persistent praying. Not that, you know, he trusted in his prayer alone, but he trusted in God and he left it with God and he continued to pray for these people. He had a concern for them. We need that fervent, humble, obedient, submissive, persistent praying. That's the kind of praying that honors God. We need a life that will continually trust God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for your love and your grace, and thank you for so many wonderful people that came to this service expecting you to work in their hearts and their lives. Thank you for their preparation beforehand and them praying beforehand. And then, dear Lord, if, if we kind of wandered away from that, and it's so easy to do, and, and we've kind of gotten our eyes more and our heart and our trust more on circumstances and situations and people and all this kind of stuff than on you, then I just pray that you've, reve that you've revealed that to us today and, and help us to come back into that relationship with you where we admit that and we say God I, I just need to trust you more God you're the source and, and I see where I haven't been doing that and I know that these obstacles and other things can be removed maybe not changed but removed from my heart and I don't have to worry about them I don't have to fret about them I don't have to become discouraged over them God help me to do that and then others may be going through some problem or difficulty and that, that just needs to be turned over to the Lord and, and you need to leave it in his hands and you just pray, God, help me to leave it in your hands. I believe, God, just like the man who had the demon-possessed child, but Lord, help me in my unbelief. Thank you, God, for being so great to be able to do that to take care of everything and really to bring us closer to you and, and our faith strengthen in you, grow stronger in you as we depend more upon you and as we walk each and every day, allowing you to lead us and guide us. God, thank you for that. Help us all 
to continue that journey. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. And as we sing, if you'd just like to come and kneel at the altar or whatever, you, you do that. If you'd like to come and pray, whatever God is leading you in. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd in song, but we just want to rejoice in what God has done in our lives and allowing us to come together like this once again. Amen? Amen. It is good to see you. Uh, anybody want to share anything? Nobody? Okay. Let's go away rejoicing in the Lord. <laughs>